Blog Talk Radio. Yes, indeed. And welcome to Rescue Radio. Doesn't that just get your adrenaline like pumping? You hear the ambulance, the sirens, the helicopters, the heart racing beating, and all of a sudden you're there ready to do something. But anyway, tonight, let's begin with some prayer. Father, we thank you for Rescue Radio. We thank you for the people who are listening, those who are here tonight with us and those who will be joining us through the archives. And Father, we know that there is a war going on for our soul. And unfortunately, Lord, it's a very silent war, a very steady stealth killer that um, is, we're so unaware of. So Lord, I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, to understand and comprehend through your word, through your instruction, what is really going on here in this battle, in this war between you and Satan for our souls, that we would comprehend it and get it, that you would um, wake us up, shake us up, uh, sound the alarm in your holy mountain that we'd no longer be sleepers but doers of the word of God, not hearers only, not satisfied, Lord, just to, to pretend and go through the motions and give you lip service, but really to get in and be who you've called us to be. And so I pray, Father, for the, uh, the download of the revelation of Jesus Christ to us this night. We thank you for your salvation that you bought and paid for that gift of the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for, purchased, rents, and redeemed rescued us from the howls and holes of Satan. And Lord God, that this is really a real war. It's not just a pretend war. It's not just for some people. It's just not for religious people. It's just not for fanatics. It's really out there to steal, kill, and destroy everyone. And may our hearts, compassion and passion be stirred this night. And I pray for divine protection, Lord God, because when we're in a battle, it's strategic. There's bombs, there's weapons, there's strategies, and I pray for divine protection covering for everyone who's listening for these places we sit, the time that we're in, for our families, Lord God, for those who love us and work for us and pray for us, and have come often to see and hear and listen to us. I pray for divine protection over them, over all that pertains to us, words over our conversations, over our relationships, over our communications, our thoughts that the enemy cannot get into our lives. Divide, divide, devour, destroy, or deceive us, Lord God. I pray that we would tonight rightly divide your holy word of truth. And Lord, though some of this stuff may seem a little bit simple or over, oversimplified or, or not majestic enough somehow to be spiritual, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bear witness to the truth. And that's what he is sent to do. And so we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're here kind of beginning our conversations regarding the book of lies. And I've been encouraged by some to write the book of lies because it seems like everybody's believing so many lies. And so in the book of lies, we'd write not only the lie, but the, the truth, the counter, uh, the, the, um, uh, when you take poison, the, what's the, uh, the counteractive uh, that will neutralize the poison the truth, and the ways that we come into believing those lies. So tonight we're going to be talking about living with me. Um, one of the most difficult things about my life is living with me. And of course, um, 
who else you got to live with? I mean, most of us can't even hardly stand to live with ourselves, let alone live with other family members. But tonight we're going to talk about living with me and the lies that we believe. Um, as we're going on, I would really encourage you to call in um, to bring up your questions. Your, you know, really seriously, if you got a question, that's great because that means you're thinking. Um, the number three four seven two one five eight zero five one three four seven two one five eight zero five one. So in this world, you know, um, the, the, we are in this world, and this world is uh, filled with war. It's filled with op- options, opportunities, uh, decisions, d- distractions, dilemmas, trouble, pain, a few good things, and a great promise. The great promise is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And of course, many of us kind of, blow that off till the end or think we've done it or maybe we have done it and then we kind of put it aside and we go live our lives the way we want to but tonight we're going to be talking about me it's by by the way the bottom line is i'll give you the bottom line up front it is not all about me my life isn't all about me how to get fixed how to get my sins taken care of my life is all about him so let's uh begin the first thing we want to define is me who I am according to myself. That's me. Me is who I am according to myself. How do you see yourself? What do you, uh, when you think about yourself, what are the four words you use to describe yourself? Being honest, of course. Who I am according to myself. Now, me, myself, and I, you know, we've heard that little saying that it's, well, it's me, myself, and I. Well, actually, there's not me, myself, and I. It's only the only real created being the one who was created by God is the only real and authentic being. And he was, and we are created by, of course, the great I am, the one true God. So is the true created being a me, myself, or I? Only the one that is reflecting the image of the great I am is authentic. The rest are counterfeits and opportunities the enemy takes to create um, confusion and deception within us. Um, because we are the offspring of the Most High God, we're made in His image, of course, and God calls Himself I, I am. We are an I. Me is a reflection. If you look in the mirror, you stand there and you point to yourself, you say, mm, that's me, but that's really a pointing to is a reflection of you. And you are standing there in front of the mirror. You're the real genuine. So the biggest lie in the book of lies is that I believe that I am me. I am me. And we believe that every thought we think we thought are thoughts we thought. And so by very virtue of thinking them, you believe that it's, it's okay. You agree with yourself, of course, and you feel your feelings and you're not going to discount your own feelings. Like I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm mad, I'm, um, no one loves me, I give up. We don't ever usually challenge our own thoughts. We kind of just go along with it that's, um, well, it's just who I am, and uh, it's I'm human, and I'm German, and this is life, and this is the way it is. And um, so we just kind of give a lot of credibility to our own experiences and how we see things uh, and, and use that as the basis for determining opinions and truth, which is deadly, fatal, if you will. So, um, you know, let's talk about experiences for a minute. Um, I... According to myself, me is the, accom- is the accumulation, me is defined, okay, as the accumulation of my experiences, 
and my perceptions of those experiences. They come together, of course, within me to form my self-concept. Um, I am what I see myself doing. I see myself um, an awesome artist, um, great in athletics, uh, musician. Then I believe I am a musician. I'm an artist. I'm an athlete. So we begin to define ourselves you know, by what we see ourselves doing. We also define ourselves by what we see ourselves feeling, thinking, saying. Um, and so we're agreeing with our experiences. We're giving our experiences the um, priority in, in validating who we are. We're not giving the Word of God the priority. As a matter of fact, when we start out, we're thrown into this snake pit. Um, the only thing that has any validity at all is we consider ourselves to be the only thing that would uh, be able to uh, identify or pr- protect or care about or preserve me, so I'm going to choose me instead of choosing the Word of God. So w- what happens to you in the snake pit when you're born, thrown into life? Um, what are your experiences? What, what did you experience? Because if you look at it, and if you're str- struggling tonight, and you say, well, what, what's all this? this is, what's, how does this help me? I don't get this. Well, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if truth equals freedom, then lies equal bondage. That's a simple equation, and it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate equation. It's valid. It's mathematically sound. It's scripturally sound. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when we know Jesus and the revelation of who he is, what he did, why he came, what's really going on, you'll walk in a new place of revelation and freedom. And what do you want freedom from, first of all? Well, let's just look at a few things that you're in bondage to, because if, if truth equals freedom and lies equal bondage, what are the bondages you're looking at? It can be anything, of course, and a lot of things, uh, more than one thing obviously plagues us. Um, so if you have one of these bondages tonight, call me and we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about what are the lies you're believing and where you first got into an agreement with that lie and how the enemy set you up in that moment of agreement called, we'll call that the, the place of agreement, the memory, and how that agreement was probably already formed as a pattern of agreements that come down your bloodline. So you're, you're kind of set up already to go in the direction you're going, whether you believe that or not. Um, so the number 347-215-8051, call in and we'll talk about it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Now, the, the bondages people are in, for example, anxiety is a big one, panic, fear, anxiety, control, helplessness, fear, trying to work things out, figure things out, fix things, make everybody happy, um, be good. That's another big one people try to do a lot. Um, you know, it's up to me. Um, I've got to take care of myself. If I don't do it, who will do it? And if I don't do it, it will all fall apart. And so we're just jammed and crammed into all of these obligations, responsibilities, and heavy-duty weights trying to feel and make our way, our life safe and secure. Um, and it pretty much it's up to me to do that is another lie, which creates a whole venue for demonic help. The protector demons come in. The false benefactors come in. The liars who pretend to be your savior, your friend, come in and they begin to um, offer you suggestions and solutions to the dilemmas that they themselves or their buddies have set up. So it becomes a torture rack of trying harder, but it's never enough. And so, for example, if, you, if you're, of course, we're all built by God, built by God. Now, that's an interesting idea, built by God, um, because everything else was spoken into existence. 
um, the stars, the sun, the moon, the, the animals, the firmament, the trees, the oceans, the things in the ocean. Everything came forth by God just simply speaking the word. However, when he got to Adam, he, got, he built Adam. He made him out of the, the dust of the earth. I think he, because we're about 70, 80% water, he probably threw a little water in the mud and began to shape you know, a statue or an image or a figure, let's just say, um, that looked like, sort of like man. And God made us in his image. So he put into us the very things that are pertinent to him. And so God built the man. God, God got down in the mud and built us. He got involved. He didn't just speak. He was really interested in this last final pinnacle of his creation. And so he involved himself. In a, and then he breathed into us the breath, his own breath. He kind of began the heartbeat with a breath from his own nostrils. And we became, as I, the Bible says, we became a living soul. Now, what does that mean? A living soul in a finite, you know, mortal body. So the body was made out of, of things that, you know, elements of the earth. And as a matter of fact, even today, we're still, our ratios of blood and, and minerals in our mineral content of our own body are very close to the uh, ratios proportionately to the minerals, trace minerals that are found in the earth. And I don't know, I've heard say that we're, you know, the mineral content, if it was all distilled and put on the open market, would be worth about $2.47. So we're not worth much, but we're worth God's blood, Jesus dying for us. But anyway, so he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. And even to this very day, we all say, we all still say, uh, even, even, I mean, people don't want to say they want to have a different story. They want to go with the mythology. They want to go with paganism. They want to go with many gods, demigods, uh, false gods, demon gods, whatever. We came from one man and one woman, and that was Adam. God breathed into Adam, Adam and Eve. And then God also formed Eve, got, got busy again. And, and this time he took a rib out of Adam. Of course, you know that story. And she became a living soul. So all the breaths that you and I have, all the generations, many centuries, millenniums of breath, life, coming down, coming down, coming down, have all come from the breath of God. So even as you're breathing tonight, and even the people who are breathing out hatred and violence and shaking their fist at God, using the very breath God has given them to do it, are still breathing the breath of God. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that a tremendous story of God's love and patience that he reigns on the just and the unjust and he's very gracious even to those of us because he knows he knows how devious insidious and wily the devil is and he knows how naive we are so we're made in the image of God male and female he created them and he made that it's interesting he made that statement as well I think that was to clarify any confusion that would arise later as to the options uh, male or female and they both reflect of God. He has a feminine, a gentle mercy side, and he has a justice and a fatherly side. And so uh, together, the man and the woman were to represent the completion of God himself, the character of God. Um, Now, okay, so we got that. That's good. We're made in the image of God. We're put on this beautiful planet in the garden. Everything's cool. And I'm just telling you the backstory because it all goes back to the battle that goes on in your mind in your soul, actually the battle goes on between your soul and your spirit, 
not just in your mind. But it all that battle began in the heavenlies. It began when Lucifer, the beautiful being, um, the worship leader of heaven, uh, got jealous. He 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 passed. He flunked his test. He got a test too. His test was to believe to see if he would be faithful to God, and he believed a lie. Don't know where that lie came from. I I suppose it's just his option. You know, he had a free will. He could choose, and he chose chose to believe he was as good as God. He could do it better than God, and if he just took one giant step forward, he would be God and on the throne of the sides of the north. And so he, he took that step and convinced a third of the angels that he would give them a better deal if they went with him. You know, positions in the kingdoms, maybe, you know, whatever, um, better uh, promotions than they had now. So a third of the angels, it says uh, the third of the stars, and stars are often used to represent angels, fell I went with Satan, Lucifer fallen. Jesus talks about he saw uh, Lucifer falling from heaven in Luke chapter, I think it's 19. Anyway, so Jesus was there at the beginning, saw this going down. Well, actually, when I think the the enemy got kicked out of heaven, Michael came, threw him out of heaven. The archangel Michael, that is. Um, There was no place really for him to go. But, so he kind of landed on the earth, or he looked at the earth and said, hmm, I like it, think I'll take it. But he couldn't just just go and take over because he had to. There was a rule. The rule was that Adam and Eve had a free will. They could do what they uh, chose to do. Uh, they could choose to serve God. They could choose to be obedient or they could choose to not. And the devil convinced Eve that she was missing something and that what was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was far better than what she had, although she didn't know she had everything she ever needed. And so the the sin was actually a sin of wanting more. And how many of us sin that sin of wanting to know more, have more, be more, do more? It's always about, and more is like lust, I want more. And so the, the enemy convinced her she didn't have enough. So she sinned, obviously, enticed Adam. They both ate of the forbidden fruit. And at that point, they became, they came into, into agreement with the lie. The lie is, did God say? The, the lie became a question of doubt, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's truth, his faithfulness. And so they moved their uh, allegiance over to the side of the enemy. But it quickly was revealed that that was a very bad move because at that point they lost their fellowship with God. The Bible says the soul that sin shall die. They didn't experience a physical death as we understand it, but their communication with God was cut off. They were sent out of the garden they lost their mental abilities and capabilities, I believe. And the enemy, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, became the prince of the power of the air. And so the battle that we're in continues since that day. It's a spiritual battle that goes on in our part of the universe between God and Satan for the souls of mankind. Now, this is not a contest to determine who's stronger or a question of who's going to win. I mean, some people think it's like an, a wrestling match between God and the Satan, and God and Satan, and or an arm, they're in arm wrestling, and we, we don't know for sure yet who's going to win. Well, the thing is, the, the story's been told, the battle's over, and God already has won. The reason He won is because the question of strength had to be settled by love, and God is the only one who could love. Satan hates; he doesn't love. He wasn't willing to when when he made his move to steal us, kidnap us. God was willing to pay the ransom. 
he was willing to put down his blood uh, as ransom, his life as, in exchange for our lives when we were kidnapped by the enemy. So now the deal goes this way. Okay, so now we have options. Whosoever chooses to live under the counsel of the evil one, the dark one, the lie, will probably have a little bit easier life down here for a while, but ultimately he will perish. The one who chooses to believe God will probably be beat up a lot down here most of the time, but God will protect him and ultimately he will prevail. And not only prevail, but be um, lifted up, uh, promoted actually, to places of leadership uh, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now the problem is, the immediate moment seems much more compelling to us than the promises of the future. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. A lot of people don't want to invest in what could be because they want what they want right now. And so in a many, many ways, we're, we're constantly insisting upon, I want what I want and I want it right now. And we're not willing to wait or invest or believe. And so the whole between God and Satan boils down to one rule. And the rule is this, whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his slave you become. Adam and Eve yielded to the devil, they became his servants. Now, again, I'm telling you the story to set the backstory for the the spiritual battle. And I really encourage you to consider, a lot of times, you know, we think we got it all figured out because we are believing what we were told or learned in church, and we got so sick of church and so mad at what they told us. And it didn't always fit together. It's like they're giving you pieces from different puzzles and expecting you to make one puzzle out of this thing. And those pieces were not even connecting with each other. And so the, the, the verses, the scriptures, the explanations, the examples, the sermons, they didn't jive together. They never made anything that was sensible. And so people get mad. They leave and they say, forget that God stuff. Well, I tell you what, the devil's in the church as much as God's in the church. And you better know that. And you better not base your decision on what other people are doing, because that's totally foolish. You won't be able to die and go to heaven or stand before God and say, well, you know, God, I would have believed you, but, you know, the preacher, but the church, but the people, the hypocrites in the church, God is going to say, "Uh, what are you talking about? I gave you my word. I mean, we're not even going to be able to say anything. So for your own sake, the fact that you can still hear me, you're still breathing, you know, I don't know, this may be the last sermon you'll ever hear. It may be one of many, many more sermons you're going to hear. It may be one of the only sermons that makes a little sense to you, but what I'm saying is God's word is the is the final deal. That's going to call and separate out everything. So God does not lie. He cannot lie. He will not lie. He, and so he's faithful. So our big deal down here is simply to believe that God doesn't lie. That God tells the truth. It's going to go the way he says, even though for now, it appears to be very different than what God says. That is the big issue, the big problem. You know, people are always saying, yeah, well, God, if you're so good, why? Why, why, why? But we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go back for a second. So the enemy rebelled against God. And, and um, he, he really, in his rebellion against God, the only thing that he found it worth his time and effort to try to destroy would be God's workmanship. God's pinnacle of workmanship was the man and the woman. So in his attempt to get after God, corrupt God's image, the devil began to tamper with those who were made in the image of God. That makes sense. Genesis 1, 26 and 7. God said, let us, that would be the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. So 
this we were the, we're the precious stones. We're the diamonds. We're the rubies. We're the gold. We're the thing that's worth the devil's effort here. He and the only thing really that God cared enough about that would make the devil delighted to destroy. And so, in order to disgrace God and destroy His children, hatred and self justification, uh, Satan in his self justification and hatred began to try to discredit God's workmanship, which is us. So God is always being accused by the devil, just like you and I. You know, Satan's always accusing God. You just favor them, you bless them, you give them everything they want. You know, it's not fair, not fair, and not fair. And so what did God say? God says, okay, you can test them, but you can't take them. You can't have them. They're mine. And so God is committed to your protection, even though you may feel you are going through hell. Um, God says, Anybody who believes in him will never be disgraced or perish, even though you may feel it. So when you're looking at what you think, what you feel, what it looks like, and you're making a decision about your spiritual condition based on your soul, uh, based on how you feel, based on circumstances, based on your finances, based on what people are saying, based on how you're feeling about your health, when you're basing your life on that instead of what God says, you are going to be sucked down into the place of despair. And that's no place for us. God is able to keep us, but the enemy wants to disgrace God. He wants to say, God, your workmanship in those people is ridiculous. They're weak. They're wimpy. Now, we are made vulnerable. We are weak, but that's okay because God is able to protect us in that weakness. But in our vulnerability, we need things. And so because we are needy, we need water, we need food, we need love, we need meaning and purpose, and we need lots of things. The devil comes by to set up a, pr- a pressure in that area, <clears throat> a de- deficit in that area. Then he brings in panic and, a- and anxiety, and then he offers us a solution. Oh, you've got to do this if you don't do this. And so we begin to feel forced to take the devil's solution, not ruling, of, realizing, of course, that it is the devil's solution. And then we get, we get, then when you come into agreement with the devil's solution, that's, that, that becomes sin, and sin when it brings forth is fully grown, brings forth death. That's James 1, 14 and 15. Um, so if I'm talking too fast, call me. We'll talk. 347-215-8051. You know, one of the things that I, I say these things, I teach, I counsel, I do a lot of work with people with the lies that they're believing in. And it's amazing how many people don't consider the basic first primary lie at all. Lies that begin with the first person pronoun. I. I'm stupid. I'm never going to make it. I'm alone. When you're born and you're thrown into that snake pit, Satan is really working to psychologically condition you. Or I should say recondition you because in the beginning we're created in God's image and we have a divine nature. But that nature is obscured by the uh, being born into this world and we begin to feel and think and see and hear and things happen to us, bad things happen to us, and pretty soon we're beginning to believe I am what's, what I see, what I feel, what I think, what people say, what happens to me. And so all the devil has to do is start to put thoughts, horrible thoughts in your mind. All he has to do is bring down a few of the generational curses, make you feel bad, stupid, have people uh, violate you, and pretty soon you're, you're beginning to change out, switch out, I am the son or daughter of the Most High God with I am stupid, I'm alone, I can't trust anybody, I'm on my own, God is mad at me, I don't like myself, I'm bad. Guilt, it's my fault. All these are lies. And 
people, you constantly keep adjusting and judging your own life by how you feel and how you think, and you just don't even consider the Word of God. Seriously, think about that. You don't consider what God has to say because you think that your opinion and your feelings and your thoughts are the ultimate determination of who you are. You know, you can't use your soul to figure out how you're doing in the spirit because your soul is inferior to your spirit. Your soul is corrupted. It's like using corrupt software to try to figure out how to get to the moon <laughs> or using the corrupt software the devil has corrupted in your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to figure out how to get close to God and follow him and make it to heaven. The, the, the chief counselors of hell are not going to give you good directions on how to get to heaven. So the big, the big issue is we're made in the image of God. So God loves honor, justice, truth, mercy, purity, goodness, righteousness, love, peace. And so, so do we. We hate what God hates. He hates sin and he hates injustice. So we're built by God to resonate with the truth. And as you're listening to me tonight, your spirit man already knows what I'm saying is true. Your spirit man is not squabbling, is not... Like a lot of times when you go to church, you sit there, you're kind of uneasy, and it's like you kind of your spirit man's on alert, and he's trying to listen, and do I believe that? Do I know that? Well, maybe that's not right, but I don't know enough as much of the word as the preacher, so he must know what he's talking about, so i got to just put that on hold. I don't know about that. And so you, you, you're not resting and being okay, receiving, drinking. It's like you're trying to drink water that is poisoned, and somehow you're trying to sort out the poison while you're drinking. It just isn't very easy to do. But anyway, but you know, because God built us to know. He built us to recognize, resonate um, with him, with truth. We are the called by God, um, and of course we respond to that call, and then we're saved. But he built us in his image to recognize the truth. And that is through your spirit. Your soul is not so fortunate. Your soul has been corrupted by experiences and your perceptions of those experiences. You know, the same, pretty much same thing can happen to the same, two different people in the same family, same experience, and one perceives it one way and then another takes it totally a different way. So perceptions, the tweak, the twist on the experiences has a lot to do with the power of those experiences. And Satan uses those things to create a lot of belief systems and agreements, which are with the lie, and he comes to control you through those lies. So, so far, any questions? 347-215-8051. What is the lie we're talking about tonight? The biggest lie, the biggest lie is that when I believe that I am me. I am not me. I am who God says I am. Me is the accumulated experiences. Uh, it's my composite concept of who I am based on my experiences, my feelings, my thoughts, or what other people say. And of course, a lot of the stuff that comes from the pit is pure lies. You know, what are the chances that if you're thrown into a mud pit with snakes in it, you're going to not get bitten dirty? For sure, you're going to get bitten dirty. So, well, why did God do that then? If he's so good, why did he even do that? Why didn't he just get rid of the devil in the first place? Well, I've already told you two reasons why he didn't do that. I'll tell them to you again, just in case you didn't hear me the first time or you're new. Number one, God didn't just get rid of the devil because God had to leave an option for us because he didn't want us to be robots. God is based on love, so he has to give us the option to reject him or not love him. And so 
that's one of the things that has to happen. Otherwise, God could have just made a whole bunch of, you know, little tin soldiers or little wooden soldiers and, and cranked us up and we'd be, you know, just following him and doing whatever. We'd just be little robots. The second reason that God leaves the devil around is because he had to give Jesus Christ something to defeat. <laughs> you know, Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he had, he had to have something to prove his excellency. His, I mean, he's, he's, he, has, he was, always is, always was, and will be the, the powerful, created Son of God. But he had to demonstrate that. It says in uh, Hebrews, it says, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. I don't think Jesus... Um, had to learn obedience. I think he was given opportunities to disobey, where then and through those he proved his obedience. So he was proving himself, his faithfulness to the Father, his willingness to lay down his life, to defeat death. He had to defeat death. After death came into the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, death was one of the first things that came into the world. And so that death had to be defeated. And so that um, was one of the number one problems so Jesus Christ, number one, the devil didn't get taken away because, number one, God didn't want robots. He wanted us to love him for who he is, believe him for who he is, and for us to choose freely who he is. Of course, the devil cheats and lies and makes all his lies look like truth, so that's tricky. But, and the second one is so that Jesus would have someone to, to defeat so that he could be rightfully declared the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, going back to the more of the problem, the original context of the problem, um, so uh, we're, we are in our, we're talking about two different battlefields. The one is within us, and the other one is outside of us. So let's go to the outside battlefield for a minute, the one where Satan is, is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, running everything, running it into the ground, wants to destroy us, you know, setting up the end of the world, the, the scenarios, which I don't know if you read the back of the book. I'm sure he did, but he should know by that that he lost. But anyway, he's determined to do it. And set up all this stuff. But we kind of, you know, you know this. Don't act like you don't know this. Don't get so busy and excuse yourself. Oh, I've got, I can't be part of this life God's called me to be a part of. I can't be part of the Great Commission. I can't do what God has me because I'm too busy. Well, what are you busy doing? Tying your shoes? You know? What are you busy doing? Um, it's just, is it going to be worth it five years from now? What you're so busy doing today, five years from now, what's it going to matter? Now, there are some things that are busy, important to do today, like relationships and people and love and telling them about Jesus. But a lot of what you're busy, all uptight about, worried about, fretting about today is going to mean nothing, even probably two years from now. So the real deal is the war between God and Satan and what God is telling us to do and how to, to manage, how to walk through this thing with victory. But going back to the, 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 the story, the back story, I think it's really important. And this is an interesting thing that, you know, a lot of people, I know me, I didn't get, I didn't hear the whole story. I don't know why they didn't tell the whole story. Maybe they didn't know the whole story in the churches where we first got going. I mean, maybe they had, they seemed to always focus on their little place, a hot spot that they like to talk about. But they really didn't lay down much of a big picture version for anybody. And so, you know, you hear it. 20, 30, 40 years later, I mean, okay, all right, well, now it's starting to make sense when you finally give me those last pieces, um, what's going on here. But anyway, in the beginning, so Satan was out to take over the world and to indoctrinate people. And so he, he has done that 
through um, the external ways he tries to do it is get to people to follow false gods. Um, himself, of course, being the power behind any idol or false god or Greek god or Egyptian god or New Age god or, you know, spiritism, all that stuff. But oh, in Hosea, God says of himself, says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, where is your, where? I will be your plagues, oh, grave. I will be your destruction. So God, in, in the, there's a huge battle, is going to defeat death. And he did that at the resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first fruits, and God, of course, defeated death. And now he's going to rip open the graves. You'll probably live to see that. Anyway, that should be interesting. That'll be a, an interesting day. <laughs> Something to write home about. Something to put in your diary. Oh, yeah, I saw the graves open up today. Yeah, Wow. Okay. I was there when it happened. Okay. So going back to what God says in Hosea, he says, um, I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you will know no other God but me. The first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods beside me. Well, why did God, why was he so, um, it seems like he's so stuck on himself. Why do we have to have that commandment? No other gods besides me. Uh, is it because he's just so narcissistic and egocentric and he just wants to do his own thing and uh, he doesn't want to give anybody a chance to identify or explore their free will? I mean, that's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? He gives you free will and he says, don't use it. Um, that's, the way, that's the way the devil wants us to, to interpret that, of course. But God says in Isaiah, he says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. In other words, even before there were days and nights and time and calendars and stars, God was, is no one who can deliver out of my hand. So in other words, God is our deliverer. He is the rescue squad. He's coming to help us. You say, I don't believe it. I can't, I can't wait that long. Where is God? Hey, even when you give up, even when you've done give up and don't believe anymore, God is still going to rescue us. He's still there to rescue us. And, you know, the, remember the man who brought his son? He said, Lord Jesus, he said, help my unbelief. He got into the place of unbelief, but he was still brought him to Jesus, and that's all the faith he really needed. So he says, I am the Lord. There is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who will reverse it? You know, the devil is feverish. I mean, the stories he tells, the scenarios, the options, the number of varieties of religions and versions of the Bible and Greek gods and mythologies. And I mean, if you ever listen to some of those stories about the, the nymphs and the chimeras and the centaurs and the gods and the demigods and the Zeus and, uh, you know, I'm just, it's just stupid. It's so stupid. And yet, why are we so intrigued by fables? Why are we so captivated by this bogus, thin veneer of stories that don't even agree with themselves? There's not one story out there. There's many stories. How do you know you got the right story? How do you know it wasn't, you know, Zeus or Apollo or Isis or Nimrod or who in the world? There's one true God. It's very simple. Guys, 
settle it in your mind. Quit playing with all these possibilities. Just cast them out. Just say, you know what, devil? Shut up. That's one of the things you do. That's It's easy. It's, you know, who's talking to me? Who's putting that in my mind? Who's speaking to me in the first person pronoun? Who's pretending to be me? Who's giving me that thought, feeling, opinion? Who's putting fear and dread in my life? Who are you? Where are you from? Heaven or hell? I mean, there's only two kingdoms, so it's not just like, oh, the church says, well, there's a kingdom of my flesh. No, there's not a kingdom of your flesh. You don't have a kingdom. I don't have a kingdom. There's not 40 million kingdoms out there. There's two kingdoms. So, you know, it, it God, there's one rule. The rule is when you yield yourself servant to obey his slave, you become, Romans 6.16, two kingdoms, heaven and hell. It's very simple, actually. The devil tries to complicate it. God makes it simple. And Paul says, I'm, I'm concerned for you guys. Lest the simplicity of the gospel be you know, obscured from you. The devil's trying to snatch it away. Why do we have to have something so complicated that we can't even explain it or understand it? God so loved the world. What's so complicated about that? Well, the devil always wants to, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but if God's so good, yeah, but if God loves the world, yeah, but, yeah, but. So the devil sets up all the contradictions, and then he says, yeah, but, to your mind. And he makes you try to answer. You need to tell yeah, buts to shut up. The oh, no's, oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, no, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm afraid. Oh, no. Perfect love casts off fear with Tom. I'm afraid the Bible says I will trust in him. So when oh, no, or I'm afraid comes knocking on your door or, or spouting off inside of you, you need to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Oh, no? Where are you from? Heaven or hell? Seriously. You say, I can't do that. That's too simple. By the way, that's not even scriptural. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's scriptural because even Jesus used that when he was in the debate with the Pharisees about, and he used it over the, to, to decide the issue of John the Baptist. Was the baptism of John from heaven or was it from men? Of course, the men. And then, of course, they couldn't answer it because they knew the truth. They knew the truth, didn't they? Say the truth so they would concede to him. Um, so is this making sense so far? Is it making sense? Good. I'm so glad. You're so quiet out there. You frighten me. <laughs> you know, there's a great sound of, of war. There's a great sound of war coming. And it's not just war out there in the, you know, in Israel and bombs and all this. There's a great sound of war. God is, is coming to deliver his people. And what? You're sitting there watching Saturday Night Live or what? eating chips or um, come on people wake up let's go I mean I don't want to be too hard on you but it's getting late okay so where were we back to the backstory the big story all right so God and Satan Satan fell from heaven God loves his children Satan was jealous and when God when he saw how much God loved his children he was extremely jealous and get this now. This is new to some of you. Some of you just begin to hear this, and some of you say, wow, that really makes sense. There was some of these fallen angels, they were sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, who saw the, the, men, the, the, the women, the human beings, and these sons of God, or what we will call them, the watchers, left their first estate, their angel estate, okay, and came down to the earth to plunder the divine offspring of God, by taking the daughters of men for their wives. You say, whoa, they can't do that. Well, they already did it. So out of these, this um, you know, mating came offspring that were 
came from this, the, the offspring that came from this devilish infraction against God, uh, crossing lines, if you will. And this is also referred to by Jude, um, by Enoch and by Jude in the book of Jude, who left their first estate, and then he refers to them like Sodom and Gomorrah. But anyway, um, they, these offspring were called Nephilim, men of renowned giants. Uh, they were not really human beings because they weren't made from two humans. So their chromosomes, their DNA wasn't completely human DNA. So they had half human DNA and half angelic or demonic, or devilish human uh, and human DNA. So they were, a, they were a, a misfit. They were a mixture. They couldn't be identified. And because they couldn't be identified and their DNA was corrupt, they were not eligible. They weren't completely human. They were not eligible for redemption or salvation. So there was no place for them to go when they died. So I believe what happened, and I believe that this is what Enoch also says, is that they began to wander on the earth as evil spirits or demons, looking for places to abide, looking for a body because they don't have bodies. They're just spiritual beings after their death. They were just spirits roaming around, looking for bodies. And even we know this because it's very interesting when Jesus did the miracle uh, of the demoniac who had legions of demons in him, thousands of demons in him, and there was the same number of pigs basically as one pig per demon or demon per, t- per pig, uh, a flock of swine feeding there over there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let him go into the swine. Now, come on, people. I mean, don't you wonder? I mean, demons talking to Jesus about going into pigs. I mean, what is this? Is this a simple little Sunday school lesson that just, oh, we just, yeah, we don't have any questions. We're just, I mean, yeah, I got a question. Teacher, why did the demons want to go into the pigs? And how did they go into the pigs? And why did Jesus let them go into the pigs? And why did the pigs run down and drown themselves, go insane when the demons went into them? There's a lot of, okay, why did Jesus even do this? This is so crazy. I mean, this isn't your nice little church stuff, your pie socials, your, your lunatic suppers. Come on, this is really, what is it? Spiritual warfare. Why did Jesus do it? He wanted to show us something. What did he show us? What did you learn from all this? Well, I learned that there are demons. They can talk. Jesus talked to them. They're called legion. And he has power over them. And they were begging him to not be sent out into the dry places. In other words, they were begging for a body. So Jesus kind of humored them, gave them a body for about 10 seconds, and then the pigs all ran down and drowned themselves, so they're dead. So now the demons are again homeless. Homeless twice in one day. It's just kind of like, not a good day here. I don't know what happened to them after that. They probably got seven of them together and went and partied down and found some other person who was halfway open and the door was open and the people were, you know, drugged and diluted. And that's there's so many times you're triple teamed, double teamed. There's five, six, twelve, thirty-seven demons all on one person, and they don't even think there's a problem. I mean, it's. Am I making sense to you? Call me. Come on, three four seven two one five eight zero five one. Don't be so quiet. It's all right. We don't know who you are. You can be anonymous. Just talk to me. All right. So back to the DNA problem. Now, so their DNA, the Nephilim, had didn't have. DNA that would qualify them to be saved. They began to wander around the earth. They kind of teamed up with the with the fallen angels. You know, when these Nephilim were born, um, like these 200 angels, angels made this pact 
that they were going to go into these women and have these offspring. And I think, I think they did it for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, when they heard the curse coming down on, uh, in the garden on the snake, and God says, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman will crush your head, and you'll bruise its heel, his heel. I think they got to thinking, okay, seed, okay, there is an offspring coming. There's somebody coming that we're going to have to be watching for who's going to take it, you know, to the, to the max. He's going to crush us. And so they were kind of laying in wait for this, this one uh, seed of the woman to come up come along and so they figured out well you know what though if we totally wreck the human strands the dna the bloodlines totally corrupt them with everybody's got demon blood in them well of course then there will be no chance that this one this divine son or anybody else can come down because they'll all be part of us already because they'll have our dna so i think one of the first reasons that they corrupted the dna of the human beings was to foil god's salvation plan but, of course, God waited to the last minute, as he always does. And he got down to Noah. One man left righteous in his generations. One guy left with good DNA. He had three sons. They had good DNA. So he put them on the boat and said, here, we're going to preserve you. And I'm going to take out all these Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim, um, a lot of them had died before that. Uh, because God, when he saw these Nephilim, they were giants. They were huge man-eating carnivores that trampled the earth and ate human beings were, were bloodthirsty. They were mauling, crushing, devouring human beings for lunch. And because they were pretty big, I don't think one or two would probably satisfy them per meal. So they were doing a lot of damage. And God said, okay, here's my pronouncement. 500 years, that's it. You get to be on the earth 500 years from the days of Jared. 500 years, count it down. They were there, and then God said, and then you're going to die. And so what happened is those, of course, in the meantime, they were having babies, I suppose, right and left, little baby Nephilims, giants growing up to do more things. And they were also, the demons, the watchers, they were not just content with having children. They were corrupting the human beings by teaching them arts of war and how to forge metals and how to... Um, uh, read the stars. I mean, they were really... You, you ever wonder, well, we got all that stuff, how we got all that information? Anyway, so they were really busy booking it, trying to corrupt the human beings. And um, so then so then God says, okay, 500 years, that's it. And at that point in time, those Nephilim turned on themselves. They just killed each other. I mean, that's the only way you're going to do it because how are you going to get a little human being that's, you know, uh, seven feet tall killing something that's 36 feet tall or taller? Maybe even taller than that. I mean, 36 feet. Just think of it. That's uh, taller than a telephone pole and a lot bigger. Okay, so anyway, so they were killing themselves. And God, the watchers watch. He made them watch their own children killing themselves. Then God says, okay, now because you did this and this is, you know, you're going to get punished. So he locked them up. He locked up the watchers, the fathers, for um, 70 generations. That seems like a long time, but it wasn't quite long enough because time's up and it ended in about 1900. Guess what? Up to that point in time, we were pretty steady and pretty in the dark ages about everything we did. You know, we had horses and buggies and we invented wheels and some things like that. And of course, they built towers and pyramids and all that stuff, but they did all that ziggurat stuff and all that 
stuff under the counsel of the technical demons. But when, when the, the demons were locked up, you know, we just kind of sunk into a dark ages for a long time. But then when they were released in about the 1900s, because if you do the math, 70 generations times 70 is 4,900. And you can, you can um, take 4,900, add 1,000, because that's when they were first locked up. So that's 5,900. And you subtract 2,000 because we're in, you know, we're 2,000 years since the birth of Christ. And so we got to get our present calendar straightened around. So we're about, about at 1,900. And so 1900 is when we had World War One, World War Two came shortly thereafter, within 30, 40 years. And so the technology is just booming again because the technical demons, the prince, the power of the air, the god of this world, they're all back. And they're helping all your cell phones and your communication systems and the cloud in the sky, and that isn't the real cloud. I mean, you put your data up there. What are you, what are you thinking, man? We're all, we didn't get that smart overnight. Not We're getting stupid. We're d- we're, you know, the way we eat, the way we feed our brains, the way we do stuff, we are actually deteriorating. So don't tell me that we're getting smarter and smarter without a little help from the outside. So don't pat yourself on the back. Just, you know, be aware. You can use the technology. I mean, you know, I mean, Peter used the boat. It's okay. But the thing is, <laughs> you're going to have to realize that this can be used by God, t- televisions, phones, computers. They can be used by God to do God's work, but they are not, you know, that's not the way the original plan was put out. You know, the garden didn't need computers in the garden, laptops. I don't think they used them. (laughs) Can you imagine Adam texting Eve in the garden? Honey, where are you? (laughs) I can't find you. Oh, I'm sure he just did it with his brilliant mind and they knew where each other was and they were thinking thoughts and talking to each other without words. Now, that would be really nice when you stop and think about how much we fight over perceptions. If we're just, you know, mentally talking to one another like they were, there's no misunderstanding because it goes straight, in, straight into the brain. There's no twisting and tweaking and running it through the filters of hurt, misperception, misunderstanding. You just go right in. Bop, I got it. Oh, yes, sir. No, honey. No problem, honey. And there's no offense, no, no defensiveness. It's just cool. But that's another story for another day. And a lot of you have that problem. You can't say a thing to your husband, your wife, your child without it getting misconstrued, misunderstood, thrown back in your face, becomes a war. Pretty soon you give up. You don't talk anymore. I I do a lot of counseling with people, so I really get a lot of this stuff, you know. And it's always fun to help people see the tricks, help them find the lies so they can walk in a place where God created them to walk in freedom and truth. Okay, so back to the story. So, um, So we have the Nephilim. We have the watchers locked up. We have the watchers set free. By the way, they had to be set free so that we could get it all figured out for Armageddon. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, they're going to try to shoot God out of the sky. And so, because they know he's coming back. Obviously, they read that part of the book. So it, it's craziness out there, and it's going to get more intense. And people are going to get more discouraged and more frustrated and more angry and more confused, unless, of course, you get into the Bible. And don't wait for your preacher to tell you where to read and what to read, and what it says. You've got a brain, you've got the Holy Spirit, put them together, sit down, use it. The Bible is not that hard. I mean, you say, oh, I can't figure it out. Well, you know, when I first got saved, I'll tell you, I got saved, okay. Actually, I was already saved, and I didn't know that I was saved, because I was probably saved when I was about six years old. Cause, but I didn't know saved was saved, and born again was anything. I didn't know that. 
I didn't know about the Bible. I was just told what I was told, and I believed what I was told, and I believed I had it right. Yeah. And so then, anyway, so when I got older and we started talking about the Bible and getting saved and the end of the world and Jesus coming back and all this stuff, um, people were talking about the Bible all the time. And I didn't like the Bible. I thought, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense. It's a riddle. Uh, it's contradictory. It's a paradox. You know, I don't like things that don't make sense. And so I really actually forgot. He says, I don't get it. I don't like the Bible. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Many years later, God is kind of humorous, I'd say, to take somebody like me who didn't like the Bible and didn't understand a bit about anything and, you know, give me a desire and a hunger for wisdom and give me wisdom and then let me talk to you guys. And I'm not saying I know it all, but I think I got enough figured out to make sense to me anyway. So, um, and he's just kind of adding to it all the time. But so when I didn't get the Bible, I didn't understand it. I said, you know, and they said, well, ask the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Ask him. So I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I don't get this. This totally does not make sense. I, you know, take a verse like the last should be first, the first should be last or whatever. I don't get it. I do not understand. And so, you know, within a couple of days, he's given me this picture parable in my brain about, I know, well, it's like this, you know, it's like getting invited to a wedding. Not everybody accepts the invitation and they're all called, but they don't all accept. I mean, that was one of the first ones. And since then, I've had lots and lots of stories and, you know, like the diamond in the slot bucket, you know, I haven't used that one for a long time, but we're like little diamonds, created in the image of God to reflect the beauty of God, you know, like he said in the beginning, Genesis one twenty six. So we're, we're brilliant, we're beautiful, but we've been thrown into the slot bucket of life. So you're thrown into this slot bucket. I know nowadays we, we have garbage disposals and we don't think about slot buckets, but in the olden days they had slot buckets where they threw the potato fillings and the, the leftover junk. And, you know, I mean, think about your compost pile if you can't think about anything else. You're a diamond thrown into the compost pile. Now, the diamond isn't going to compost with the compost, but the diamond can surely get buried and hidden and full of muck and yuck and slop and garbage. Well, okay, so that's terrible. It's a tragedy because you've got a diamond out there in your compost bin and you don't know it. But God knows it, so he stretches out his hand and reaches down into the muck and yuck of life and picks this little diamond, you and I, up out of the trash heap, out of the mess, out of the... You know, people give up on you. They go away. They don't want to have anything to do with you. God picks you up and says, oh, I like him. I, I, I can. And he begins to brush you off and scrape off the junk through the word. The sword of his word scrapes you off. Then he washes you with the water of his word and he cleans you up. And then what does he do? Throw you in his dresser drawer? <laughs> does a diamond do any good in a dresser drawer? I mean, seriously, diamonds have to have light in order to sparkle. And... When they're held up to the light, do they have to go to sparkling school to learn how to sparkle? No. They just sparkle because they're made to sparkle. So when we're brought into the presence of God's truth and love, we just begin to shine and act and be diamonds. Okay. So God then takes this little diamond he's redeemed and and polished. That would be you or me. And he puts us into his crown, into his jewelry. He wears us. we're, We're his I think there's even a verse that says we're his little jewels. And this is all very cool. I mean, and so God is in the redeeming business. And most of us, we think that once you're thrown into the slop bucket, you're, you're over with. You're done. And you would be, except God is where we are. He goes and finds us, saves us, seeks and saves that which is lost. So, you, you know, and you, you, you're just going to shine for Jesus. And guess what? It's 
nothing you learned how to do. It's nothing you taught yourself. It's not because you're trying to be a diamond. It's not because you're trying to be good. Not because you're trying to be like Jesus. Because you're already made like him to reflect his glory, his goodness, his truth. And you love what he loves and hate what he hates. So stop fighting it. Stop trying to make yourself into something that you're not. Just agree with God and you'll like yourself a lot better. You'll be in much more agreement with yourself. You'll be a lot healthier and you'll live a lot longer and with a lot more purpose and happiness in your life, or at least joy. I'm not saying the devil won't try to beat you up, but that's okay because God is on the throne and he's also in our hearts. Okay, so the devil, that was his first attempt to stop us, to stop God, was correct, wreck the DNA. But the other thing that he wanted to do, Satan wanted to do, I really believe, this is now my opinion. We're going to a moment of opinion here. So it's 8 o'clock. So I tell you what, before we give you my opinion about how Satan tried to save himself, let's listen to a commercial. Um, I think a good one would be God on trial because God's always on trial in the hearts of us all the time. Did he really say that? Is he really going to mean it? Does he keep his word? Is he good? Da, da, da. So God on trial. Let's check it out. The heavens shook. Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. I dare you to let me test them. Would you test them to find fault with me? Let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle, and yet alluring. (laughs) You will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him? Mm. Here. Delicious. Uh, you see, nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. And I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. And there you have it. That's called God on Trial. If you want to hear more or learn more about it, go to liferecovery.com. Life Recovery is uh, the ministry that we work from. Sponsors part of Rescue Radio as does True Light Church. And God on Trial is a work in, in progress. Um, the episodes, there's about 24 or 5 episodes that take us all through the story of the, um, the Old Testament Satan's, of course, his vendetta, hatred, jealousy against God, and calling witnesses to testify against God that he's unfit to rule the world, etc., etc. Um, 
an excellent witnessing tool. I mean, for people who are mad and disgruntled and think God is, you know, crazy. Anyway, back to my opinion. So this, the second reason I believe that the enemy, and this is where we're going to take it down into the other battlefield, which is inside of us, is that Satan, uh, well, let's just say the demons, um, because, of course, Satan and the devil are not the same as the demons and evil spirits. The demons and evil spirits are the ones who are the, the spirits of the Nephilim that are floating around. And I think they still thought they had a chance somehow to maybe redeem themselves and get saved and, and, and hitchhike a ride to heaven. And so what they try to do is get inside of us. Um, and, and, and even now, I believe that there's some scientific uh, efforts on their part to build a body, <laughs> their own body that's, not committed to heaven that they can dwell in. Uh, it's, it, it may look human, but not be human. Not that's a far out opinion, but I think it's pretty accurate. Everything's sort of far out with God, don't you think? It's not as boring as you thought it was, really, seriously. And um, it's about time you quit believing everything you hear in church and start reading your Bible. Please, do yourself a favor. Open the book for yourself. And if you're listening in the chat room right now, you can call me um, and we can have some more talk. Three four seven two one five eight zero five one. But I know you really want me to get to the second part, so here it is. So, all right, a lot of the information that goes on, a lot of your information, your, you know, remember our, our topic tonight, one of the most difficult things about my life is having to live with me because I don't like myself. I believe lies. It's like we believe all the lies. You know, we believe the lies are true. We believe the lies about us are true. We, we just don't know how to really rest in the truth and walk in that freedom. So the devil, from the beginning, the day you hit the, hit the pit, he began to psychologically recondition us to believe the things we've seen and learned from the pit, what people are saying. And so much of the information that has been put together to build your self-concept or mine is selected from a finite pool of information, spiritual and genetic options information, DNA, um, and information that has been particular to my, or my bloodline. So that can include, but not just limited to, genetic material um, agreements that my ancestors have made with darkness, with truth, with God, with the devil. Um, previous assignments, um, patterns of sin and destruction, things the devil has defiled or done in my life or my generations that he, can, he again tries to repeat in every successive generation. So um, the, the, these in pieces of information and patterns are coming down our bloodline through and maintained through the work of what we will call familiar spirits that have been assigned to us. And the strong man Jesus talks about in Matthew 12:29 and Luke 11:4, I think is that strong man is the first person impersonator who gets you to believe that you are what you see yourself saying, feeling, thinking, and doing, although he's behind it. Um, and you're like a little a remote control, you know, he's, you're like a puppet on a string and he's getting you to believe and agree with and go along with and not resist many of the suggestions because you already believe that it's just me doing it anyway. It's me. It's my idea. I like it. I like the taste. Um, I don't want to quit. Um, I've done it forever. It's my life. It's the way life is. And with all of these agreements, we stay stuck in the same old, same old, and we never get delivered because we don't get to the root lies. Does that make sense to you? Anyway, so Satan takes the genetic material, the agreements, the sins, the open doors that the enemies use to maintain his picture 
his concept of me, and he promotes these things. And the enemy continues to work as you grow, as you're in this, your life, to gather more information, to plot against your life and your plans, to, to sabotage you, to, to thwart relationships, set up snares, always disguising himself as me, you know. And they, they, these demons, these familiar spirits, they submerge themselves in our subconscious. Uh, they influence us with information they have. They activate stuff against us. And we aren't clueless, basically. I, I think we're really clueless. Our subconscious thought, we're not aware of what we're subconsciously thinking. But the Holy Spirit is in there. Um, the devil wants me to agree with him at some level, conscious or unconscious. And he does that. You know, the devil, here's the bottom line, another simple rule. The devil cannot make me do anything, but he can get me to agree with him. And, I, you know, the fisherman cannot make the fish bite the hook. You can't. You can bait the hook. You can seduce the fish. You can lure him. You can study the fish. You can figure out his depth, you know, what he likes to eat for lunch, when he's available for lunch. You can do all kinds of things like that, but you can't force him to bite the hook. And the only thing that makes him bite the hook is if he's hungry. And so with us, we're hungry for spiritual things. We're hungry for God. We're hungry. We're empty. We're, or there's a lot of pain that comes with voids and meaningless, purposeless life. So we're hungry for something, whether it's justice or religion or God or being good or power or whatever it is. So Satan sets the hook, baits the hook, and presents it as what we're looking for. And, of course, we don't check it out and we just believe, well, I want that. That's good for me. I want to have that, you know. Um, it's all about me, 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 and what I want, what I need, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy. So we're, we're jumping and biting at these hooks without checking it out. Um, so, okay, so let's get back to this demon that disguises himself as me. I call him the first person impersonator. He's, he's, he's really set you up. He set us up in our brains, in our minds, in our souls, actually. And so let's look at, you know, how this works. Paul says... Um, uh, you know, he says, I'm doing the things I don't want to do. This mystery of lawlessness, as in Second Thessalonians 2, 7, this mystery of lawlessness is already at work in us, the Bible says. It's in us. Only it says he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he's taken out of the way or out of the world. But this mystery of lawlessness is not only in the world, it's also in us. And this brings us to the dilemma that Paul was faced in Romans chapter 7, when we hear him say, I'm doing things I don't want to do. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. He says, it's the, he says, it's the sin that dwells within me, the things I hate, I perform. How many of us are trying to quit something we can't stop? Seriously. And how much time and effort and money have you put into trying to quit something you can't stop? You've gone to treatment. You've done research. You bought the pill, the patch, the medication, been to the doctor, had your stomach half cut out, whatever you've done. I mean, Seriously. It's pathetic. I don't want to sound like Rush Limbaugh or something, but I don't. It's, it's pathetic. The, people, the, the lengths that people will go through to, in desperation to get rid of a demon without actually ever getting rid of the demon. You know, if you get your stomach shrunk, what do they call that? Liposuction or something. I don't know what they call it. Gastric bypass. There you go. If you do something like that, that's pretty drastic action. You're pretty desperate to get curb your appetites, to get your weight under control, to whatever, whatever. But if you can do all that medical stuff, all that, put yourself in more debt, 
Now you're more anxious. Now you eat more because you never got rid of the demon in the first place because it wasn't you eating in the first place. It was a demon who was craving. His name is craving. Whatever it was he's craving, sugar, salt, pop, who knows. I mean, seriously, if God, it's not in God's recommended food list, then God surely would not give you a craving for it, would he? I mean, is Diet Pepsi in God's recommended food list in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29? I don't think so. How about chocolate cake? Well, maybe cocoa, but, you know, because God made that. But seriously, a lot of the things that we're craving is because we're missing something. We talked with you last week and Karen about minerals and all that stuff. But a lot of times, we, we, Paul says, it is the sin that dwells in me. Okay, I don't know what Paul's sin was. I don't know if he was losing his temper. I don't know if he was overweight. I don't know what it was. But he says, there's something I'm doing that I don't like. And I can say, yeah, Paul, I get you. I've been there myself. I know what you're talking about. He says, he says, he says with my inward man, with my, with, I agree with the law of God that it's good. In, in other words, in my original divine creation nature, I am built to agree with God's law that it's good. And I don't even have to try to want to agree with God's law that it's good. I just agree with it. Why? Because I'm built to agree with it. Why does it have to be complicated, people? I wasn't brainwashed into believing it. I wasn't talked into believing it. As a matter of fact, I resisted as much as I could in the beginning of my life anything that had anything to do with God because I'd already been hoodwinked it up and I decided I wasn't going to buy into any more of that, you know, deception. So, but I couldn't call God a liar. Bottom line, why couldn't I call God a liar? I could call everybody who's talking about God a liar, but I couldn't call God a liar. Why? Because God is God and his word is his word. And how did I know that? Did somebody brainwash me into thinking that? I don't think so. So anyway, you, you know, there's, Paul says, with my inward man, I agree with the law of God. That is good, and God cannot lie. God is good. You know this. People, you know this. Don't say you don't know this. You know this. You know this in your spirit. God is good, and God cannot lie. And all the strugglings you're having to believe God are all based on the fact that you're looking at an appearance of what looks like it is, what Satan wants you to think it is, feel like it is, and instead of saying what, looking at what God says it is. You say, well, I can feel it. I ex- experienced it. Therefore, I know. No, you don't know. You, you've just based everything on, on an experience that you consider to be real. And yeah, it's real, but it's not necessarily reality. It's not always the truth, you know. Reality and truth aren't always the same thing. Jesus Christ, my favorite example, a baby born in the stable in Bethlehem, wrapped in swelling clothes, you know, cows breathing on him in the straw. You know, his mother and father had no money. Um, and you look at that kid in that scenario, say, this kid doesn't have a chance. He's going to be on the street, worthless. I mean, he's never going to get an education. He's not going to be able to do a thing. He's, he's poverty stricken. He's, he's going to be a pauper. He's going to die, you know, worthless life. Here he is. Not not poverty stricken at all. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the truth was not reality. Reality was lying, deceiving you into believing something that wasn't true. And we do this all the time. But we always think reality is more important because it's more immediate. Again, that's, that's the way we finite people think. But we're not finite. We're infinite because we're built for eternity. We're going to live somewhere forever and ever. And that's the problem. You know, people say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to die and go in the ground and rot and the maggots will eat me up and I'll be done and gone. And, or I'll come back as a butterfly or maybe I'll come back as a frog. Uh, reincarnation and resurrection are not the same thing. Reincarnation, reincarnation is the devil's idea to get you from embracing God's idea. You know, it is going to end up being exactly the way God said, whether you like it or not, whether we believe it or not. I'm sorry if I'm being a little harsh with you. It's getting a little late. 
not just in the evening. It's getting a little late in your life, a little late in time. Jesus is, could be mounting the white horse for all I know. Let's get going here. So anyway, Paul says, I am, you know, not doing the things I want to do. But I, I get it. I am, you know, I am made in the image of God. He says, so then he says, what, what, what is this? He says, I see this. I see this war going on. Where? Inside of me. Inside. Okay. This war, this, this debate, this battle, this conflict, this try harder, never enough. I've got to quit, but I can't stop. This got to be perfect, never perfect enough. This I'm afraid to death, but I got to stay in charge. I got to be strong. Uh, you know, it, it, twisting the conflicts, the torture rack, whatever you want to call it. And he says, um, I see this war going on inside of me. Now, I've mentioned this to you. If you want to look this up, Amplified Romans chapter 12, I mean, chapter 6, verse 12. Let not therefore sin, sin reign or rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make obey it in its lusts and evil passions and cravings. All right, so he's saying, got an option here. Don't let, don't permit sin who would want to the demon who wants to control your life, you know, use your body, you know, like you're the, his little remote control car. He's going to go use you to get his, his fixes and his needs met and enjoy his life, you know, in all its, you know, all its appetites and pleasures and desires and cravings and lusts and da 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 da. going to use you to get his needs met. That's what a lot of people are doing. You say, wow, they're acting like the devil. Well, yeah, they are. Um, but anyway, so Paul says, this war going on inside of me, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, if I am doing, Romans seven twenty, if I am doing what I don't want to do, if I'm doing what I will not to do, it is not me doing it. And this just throws a total wrench in all of our take responsibility theology, doesn't it? Every church you go to, every school you go to, every court system, every government system, every, every, everything Take responsibility. It's your fault. You need to fix it. You you did the crime. You do the time. Now, I'm not saying we should throw out all of that stuff, but I'm saying God doesn't use the word responsibility. He uses, he knows. He knows what we're up against. God is not as hard, as, as hard on you to serve him as the devil is. The devil is hard on you. He wants you to feel like God's mad at you and he's pushing you like this demonic counselor from hell is trying to help you get to heaven by making God happy. He's already happy. He loves you. And he wishes you'd get it because you're not listening to him. You're listening to the liar who you think is you, me, I, me, myself, and I. Okay. So far, is this making sense? Are you totally mixed up? Call me, 347-215-8051. I feel so all alone. I know you're there, though. Actually, I can see you in my chat room. That's really nice. Say hi or something. Just if you got, just scribble something on your little, just text me a something or other. Give me a little feedback here. And if you're really mad at me, then keep it to yourself. Otherwise, just, unless you got a valid question, I'm totally into valid questions. And helping you find the lies in your life. This would be a great opportunity for, for some counseling, if you don't mind. Who says hi? Computer cowboy. Oh, computer cowboy. Hey, hi to you too. I don't know who you are. I can only imagine, probably not from Texas, probably from Wisconsin. <laughs> okay. 
Well, as long as I'm making sense. Thank you. All right, so back to Paul. Paul is, who know, the primary, main, number one writer of the New Testament. I mean, God was downloading it all to Paul. So when he gets to this part where Romans 7.20, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and if I'm doing the things I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. God didn't slap his hand and say, oh, Paul, erase that part there. You've you got you to gotta let him know they're going to have to, got to, need to try harder, be good, get it right, do it over, measure up, and stay. Hi, George. <laughs> hey, thank you, George. It's good to hear from you. Miss you. Talk to us. Call us. Give us an email. Do something. Get on your, cow, on your horse and ride up here. <laughs> Let somebody else watch them go throw out. <laughs> All right, I can see him laughing right now. All right, so, yeah. So, so Paul is saying, Jesus is, God is, the Holy Spirit's right in, right in this, sense, and he doesn't make Paul erase those words. Now, did you ever wonder, you know, this precious word responsibility that gets thrown at us from the day we're about two years old until we die, it's either my fault or your fault or somebody's fault. By the way, there's three basic, basic uh, situations in life, three basic issues uh, that man must resolve. One of them is an issue of survival, you know, the survival of the fittest. Am I going to have enough to eat today, pay my bills, pay the mortgage, all the survival stuff? The second one is an issue of righteousness. You know, what makes me righteous? How do I get righteous? I want to be good. I want to be, I'm built by God to love goodness, and so the devil uses that to make me feel like I'm not good, and therefore I want to be good, so I'm motivated to follow the devil's prescriptions on how to be good, which only takes me deeper into the pit of rejection. Okay, so it's survival, which is safety, and then it's um, righteousness. How do I get my righteousness? How do I keep my righteousness? Who, you know, of course we know it comes through Jesus Christ, and that's too easy for most of you out there. Most of you just got to work, work, work. You think you're going to make it? I mean, seriously, it's already done. Why don't you just receive what Jesus did for you and then do what he said to do? He didn't say, go be righteous. He said, go tell people about the good news. And then the third thing is responsibility. Whose fault is it? That's the third thing we try to always resolve. Well, who's, who dropped the ball? Was it me? It must have been my fault. I mean, a lot of people, oh, I just get so sick of this when you, you, you have to live with yourself and you don't like yourself. You know, you're supposed to love yourself. And, and then the next suggestion I make is love yourself enough to leave yourself alone. Get over yourself, get out the door, and go tell somebody about Jesus. And don't make it all about me and if I'm good enough or not. God uses the foolish things, the things that are not, to bring to not the things that are. God uses the willing. And, you know, there's this little simple parable Jesus tells these two, a story about these two boys. The one said to his dad, says, yeah, come on, help me. And the kid says, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. And he never showed up. And the other one, second one, he says, come and help me. The boy says, nah, but he showed up. And Jesus says, okay, simple. Who did the will of the father? Obviously, the one who showed up. Not the one who had good intentions. Not the one who made the promise and broke it. But the one who actually showed up. Go show up out there in the, in the harvest field. Go love somebody, smile at somebody, give somebody a hope, some hope. Tell them about Jesus. Do something to to. Get them to know about the grace, the goodness, the love of God. And, of course, you can't give them what you don't have, so you need to get it first yourself. Spend a little time with Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm serious. You can talk to him however you want. 
you can yell, you can scream, you can cry, you can praise, you can pray. You can, you know, I had a really good discussion with God today. <laughs> you would just maybe think I'm blaspheming, but, you know, Moses had discussions with God, and God got fed up with the people. He did. He did. You know, I, I was reading this morning, and, um, well, today, by the way, speaking of the, on a bunny trail right now for all you attention deficit people, hold on, the rest of you will be back. Okay, today is the day of awe, or awe, days of awe. The day, 9th of August, it's not the 9th of August on the Jewish calendar. On the Jewish calendar, it is the, the day of judgment, punishment, when everything goes wrong on that day. They had a big bad day on that day in August, many, many years ago on their calendar. And it happens to be today on our calendar, it's the 5th of August. And many bad things, they got taken into captivity, they lost battles, blah, blah, blah. And I was, somebody told me, now I don't know if this is correct, you, some of you are really super Bible scholars who like to go research, can go check this out, and then you can let me know if I'm wrong or if I'm right. But they said that the very first bad thing and the very first way this day got started was the day that the 12 Hebrew spies came back um, checking out the promised land. And I think that's in numbers. I read it this morning. Let me see if I can find it back. Um, and they, you know, 12 of them, went out, 10 says, ah, we can't do this. There's no way. And then, of course, there's Joshua and Caleb who says, yeah, yeah, let's go. We can take them. Let's go for it. And when um, they refused to do what God had said for them to do, uh, they were backing up, pulling out, getting scared. God said, okay, all right. You, you're afraid that I'm gonna, your, your, your wives and kids are going to get eaten up by all this? Tell you what. Tell you what we'll do. I think that is. It's Numbers chapter 13. The whole story is in one chapter. So, um, or is it in two chapters? Yeah, no, it's in two chapters. 14, Israel rebels against God, and they're worried that these giants, by the way, there were giants in that land of Canaan, giants. The giants had made it through the boat, made it through Noah's deal. How does that happen? Well, the DNA, of course, somebody on that boat had corrupt DNA and probably wasn't Noah's kids because God said they were fine. So it must have been one of the wives. Anyway, Probably Ham's wife, because she's they, they're the ones who had all the troublemaker kids. It seemed like I think there might have been a few others, but anyway, Caleb says um, because he had a different spirit in him and had followed the Lord. It, it, God says, "Okay." Caleb says, "We're well able to take it." Joshua, yeah, let's go. And the rest of them they bowed out and they said, "What have you led us out of Egypt to let us die in the wilderness?" They're always whining, complaining, looking at the way things were instead of what God said. I mean, God wanted to go in right then and there and take out those giants. And he was ready to do it. And he had these little people who were not willing to go because they didn't believe God was going to protect them. Um, so why has God brought us out in this land to fall by the sword, but our wives to be, and children should be victims? Um, would it not be better if we just go back to Egypt? So they were ticking God off. And God finally says, um, uh, oh, then Joshua and Caleb says, uh, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us as a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregations said, said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before all the children of Israel and God basically got mad and Moses had explained to God, okay, get this picture. Moses is explaining to God 
how God is going to look really bad to all the heathens, the idolaters, the pagans out there when God smacks his own kids and destroys them. And, they're, and Moses said, they're going to say, the only reason you killed them is because you couldn't pull it off. You couldn't bring them into the promised land like you said. And therefore, they're going to think you are a zero, nothing. And so, um, so God listened to Moses and he says, if you kill the people... As one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord is not able to bring these people into the land which he swore to to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray thee, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But he shall by no means um, forgive or clear the guilty visiting the iniquities of the fathers onto the children of the third and fourth generation. Um, so, so Moses is making this appeal, saying, God, you can still judge, you can still do, you know, take care of the iniquities, but, but remember you've got mercy going on here too. And so God softens, says, okay, I got an idea. All the adults here who were of one mind and one heart to go back to the wilderness, they're going to die in the wilderness. I'll just take in the kids, the 20-somethings and under, who, who you were afraid were going to get swallowed up by the giants, those are the ones I'm going to take in, and I'm going to use them to defeat the giants, and you will be dead. You don't even get to see it. And so it was kind of a, an, an interesting compromise in the plan, but it took another 40 years to get this all rigged around. So, you know, it's kind of frustrating for God, I'm sure. But anyway, so I think, you know, it's okay for you to talk to God about his reputation sometimes. Really, seriously, I did that today. I said, God, <laughs> I said, you know, God, well, one time, one time I got, I, I said, God, how come you're always listening to the devil and answering his prayers and not mine? I'm your kid. <sighs> well, you know, God didn't strike me dead with that. As a matter of fact, I think he kind of likes that prayer because you come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy. You know, if you've got kids and you have this nice office, and other people have to go through the secretary to get in, and they have to make an appointment, and your three-year-old can just come barging right in, and everybody lets them, including the secretary, because they're your kid, and they don't know any better, and they just get in, and they get to sit on your lap, and you get to talk to them, and everybody else has to wait their turn. So your child of God should go boldly to the throne of grace. I don't think God gets too upset with that, because actually it's a real demonstration of your faith. Um, So anyway, today I was saying, you know, God... Um, you're always worried that the devil is going to accuse you of playing favorites. And that's true. The devil accused him when it came to Job, didn't he? Well, you just give Job everything he wants. That's why he serves you. With Abraham, oh, you just, you know, now you gave Abraham Isaac and he doesn't like you anymore. Accusing God of being good. (laughs) Really good. Too good. Unjustly good. To us. And so jealousy, that's his middle name. But anyway, so, yeah, but God isn't wanting. He wants to bless us. He wants you to claim, go forward, make your case. He says, present your case. Well, I think the Holy Spirit's presenting my case for me, through me, through my words and thoughts and mind to God and saying, God, come on, you know, don't be emotionally worried about how, what the devil's thinking about you. It's okay to bless your children. It's okay to give us what we need, because why are we wanting it? To do your will. 
we're not wanting it to, I mean, you've already trained us. It's not about us. It's about your word, your kingdom, about the harvest. So be bold, guys. Say, God, this is not about me, and it's not about you. It's not about, it is about you, Lord, but it's not about your, your relationship or your emotions because you're bigger than that. You've got that all figured out. You're, you prevail against your enemy, who is our enemy. We are your servants. You are the provider. God provide. Don't be whining and murmuring against God. Go boldly before the throne of grace and mercy and say, God, here's my, here's my deal. I need this. You know, and I, maybe you're just not like that. Maybe you're just so meek and mild and gentle and peaceful and um, don't want to rock the boat. I, I just think God doesn't mind. He, he has Peters out there who just kind of like, I mean, look at Peter. What did he do? He kept putting his foot in his mouth all the time. And what did Jesus do in the end? He gave Peter the lead. He says, okay, go feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, I love you. Of course, John got a good place too. But, you know, the thing is, if you're built by God to make intercession, then make intercession. God can handle his reputation. God can handle the devil's accusations against him. And God does not play favorites. So, there you have it. Okay, so that was my argument. God, don't worry about what the devil's thinking about you. Just give me what I need, please. Don't worry about the devil calling you, you know, um, partial or showing favoritism. You do, you already have. You're, I'm your favorite, along with about a million, billion other people who accepted Jesus Christ, you know. And, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit inside of me can say, you know what, you need to tone it down a little bit. I don't, he didn't say, oh, tone it down. You've got to behave yourself. You, you're coming. I am the daughter of the Most High God. That doesn't mean I am God, people, all you New Age people. Get this right for crying out loud. The devil's twisted all this around too. He wants you to think that you can't know who you are, the created son or daughter of God, because, because if you're coming out of New Age, you don't want to be New Age, and you think, oh, well, I was looking to be my own God. Well, that's not the same as being, you're already a God, Okay. By God's own mouth and word and proclamation, in Psalms and in Jesus' own mouth, is it not written, you are God's? He's already pro- proclaimed we are God's. Now, I am not the God. I'm not the creator God. I'm not the, you know, the eternal God. But he, in his book, I am a God. That means I am of the same last name. I have the same last name as God. I'm of the family of God. I've got the nature of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the whole point, isn't it? To be made like Jesus and Jesus is God. I'm not going to be made a God by my own good works or by my own meditating or mantras or gurus or whatever they do out there. That is so stupid. If you do that stuff, you are acting like a monkey. (laughs) You're not, you're not, if you act the way God created you to act, you will have the, the, the wisdom, the counsel, the, the, uh, the approval, the blessing of God on you as you accept Jesus Christ. Then you don't have to worry about being a God. You'll be with God forever. You are sons and daughters of God. I don't know if um, that's like, you know, that makes any sense to you or not. Everybody's trying to get what they already have. That's the bottom line. Always trying to get what you already have. Eve did the same thing. She already had the relationship with God. She had eternal life. She had the garden. She had all the brains. She had all the beauty. She had everything she needed, and yet she was seduced into believing she didn't have it all. You already have what God has given you. Just begin to unpack it by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him do the teaching. You do the learning. You do the listening. You do the dying. You do the dying. 
he must increase, we must decrease. And when we fade away and die and decrease, Paul says, I die daily, what did he find at the bottom of all that? Jesus. In him. In him. To live as Christ. In him. I live and move and have my being. And you can't get that by just trying harder to be good or being religious. You get that by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Okay, so back to Paul. Paul is saying, back in Romans 7, I, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm wretched. I'm miserable. Poor me. Oh, me. Oh, no. What do I do? He didn't say, what do I do? He didn't say, I've got to. I need to. I should. I really should. I need to believe more. I need to believe harder. I need to get it right. I need to figure it out. He didn't say, I need to, or I get to, or I got to, or I should. He didn't say anything about himself. He said, who will deliver me? He surrendered his whole problem over to the deliverer. Now, isn't that easy? That's totally easy. That's totally not hard. It's not my problem. God, this is not my problem. And I have gotten further in my life by giving all my problems to God than I did when I was trying to figure them all out myself. Seriously, a lot of you people are very, you're all provoked and you're upset and uptight because you're always trying to make yourself right. You're defending your own demons. Demons are defending demons and you're taking the side of demons who defend demons to keep you locked up by demons. Does that make any sense? Let it go. You know, here's an example. I got a CD. Maybe I'll get it done sometime. It says, uh, defending your own demons or something like that. I think that's the name of it. So when somebody says something to you and says, you know what, basically I'll paraphrase, you know, that wasn't very nice what you just said, what you just did. Um, You're being selfish. You're acting like the devil. You're listening to a lie, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll retort and say, well, what about you? Now, that what about you is not the Holy Spirit, not the conviction of the Holy Spirit coming out of their mouth right then to, you know, It's another demon who says, who's turning the tables, messing up the conversation, changing the subject. If you're, if someone is talking to you about something and you feel rising up within you a need to defend yourself, get all defensive, um, get irritated, get frustrated, um, and defend yourself, bottom line, defend yourself, then you've got a demon in there who is getting you to agree with him. Rather than saying, you know what, honey, you know what, you're right. That was, I did believe a lie. Yeah, I got tricked. Is it possible that we can get tricked and still be saved? Absolutely. Did Peter get tricked? Did James and John get tricked when they wanted to call down fire bolts of lightning on the, the Samaritans? Yeah, they got tricked. A lot of people get tricked. Does that mean you're lost? No. It means you're deceived. What does that mean? That means you've got to believe a lie. You believe in a lie, and the Holy Spirit's in there to correct it. You've got the God guidance system of the Holy Ghost right inside of us, the GPS of heaven, right inside of us all the time. Now, you know, the Holy Spirit, how many of us really have talked to him today? Seriously. Okay, Holy Spirit, what are we doing today? You know, what's on your schedule? Holy Spirit, you know what? I got this big project, and it is just bugging me. There is no way. I don't get it. I don't know how to do it. Um, how many of us really talk to the Holy Spirit? And we stay and say something like, oh, I've got to. It's up to me. I'm going to have to take more time, work harder, you know, prove myself. You know, what are they going to say? What if I don't get it done? Blah, 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 blah. I, 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 I. God's reputation. God, your reputation's on the line. 
I'm your workmanship created in Christ Jesus on good work, unto good work, and I want to do you proud, God. I want to be, you know, like the, the guys of old. I mean, they were not perfect, let me tell you. Think of, read the lives of the patriarchs. They were not perfect. Every one of them basically screwed up, told lies. Just think about the guys who told their father that their brother was dead. And they all knew he wasn't. Joseph's brothers. And they kept the secret, the lie, for years. And they saw their dad whining and crying and carrying on and despairing of life. Did they break? Did they tell the truth? Did they fess up? No. Why? (laughs) Don't tell me they were acting under the power of the Holy Spirit, although God had a plan, and he always works the plans out, so we have to be patient. But nonetheless, what they did wasn't right. God made it right, figured it out, fixed it up. But the thing is, everybody gets tricked, and God uses imperfect people to work through us to do a perfect thing. All things work together for good. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and try to be imperfect and get in God's way and mess things up deliberately. But back to Paul. Okay, so he's, he's saying, who will deliver me? I need deliverance. I need deliverance. Very simple, profound, deep, simple Bible truth. I, you, we need deliverance. You know, it's like weeding in the garden. You know, you can learn a lot from just being in the garden and hanging out there with the weeds and the pests and the... The stuff, oh my God, there's a big battle going on in the gardens these days. But anyway, when you pull weeds, some people just pull the tops off. They just pull the tops off. Can you believe that? So it looks pretty for a day. And then what? The weed grows back, deeper, stronger, more flushed out than ever. You've got to pull out the roots. Now, every weed is not the same. And there's many weeds I prefer to have in my garden because they're much easier to pull out than some weeds and some weeds they just you know they break off they they sacrifice the top so they can keep the bottom and they keep the roots the lies plucking out the roots jesus said cast out the demons what was he talking about he was talking about intelligent forces that live inside of us inside of our souls our minds will and emotions that have programmed our souls to believe lies to believe and make decisions based on reality, based on experience. Um, the software that runs the soul is designed in hell, you know, designed to be compatible with the soul of the human being. And the downloads from this operating system go into our mind, will, and emotions come from hell. And it really, seriously, this programming, I believe it acts like an integrated tracking device that automatically and remotely controls you know, like your remote control car. It controls the object it's embedded in much the same way that, you know, that a program or software will um, control the computer and the directions it's taking and what it's going to give you for information. You know, God says we're like clay. We're very moldable in the hands of this evil controller and the soul is like that. It's held captive under the influence of the enemy who's very capable of responding, making us, um, you know, this enemy, he, he, he orchestrates events and then he puts in our minds our responses to those events and we don't ever disagree with them. We just go along with it and we say, oh, wasn't that terrible? Oh, I'll never do that again. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, you know, we're not saying, whoa, 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 who said that again? Who's talking to me? We just assume 
that every thought we think, we thought our thoughts, we thought. When not every thought you think, you thought our thoughts, you thought. Some of the thoughts you think, you thought our thoughts. The enemy wants you to think you thought, so he can get you to think you thought them. And that's not that hard to understand. It's just the way he works. Because he knows that once you go with the agreement, I am, or I feel, or I think, you have already agreed with and embraced whatever comes behind that. So we're being, you know, controlled by these programs. And that's how the devil manages that war, that debate, that conflict inside of us. So the debate really goes on between your soul and your spirit. And so Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from me, the me, the operating systems of the strongman, the protector demon, the, 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 the false benefactors, the impersonators, those who impersonate me in the first person, getting me to believe I am what I do, what I think, what I feel, what I say. Who's going to help? Who's going to sort that out? Who's going to separate them out for me so that I know the truth? The Bible says walk in the spirit. And so Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death or this operating software? Who will deliver me? You know, I mean, do people think this deeply about their lives? No, not usually. Why? I think most people don't have a single original thought most of their life, except maybe what they want to eat or what they don't want to eat. I think we're so incredibly stupefied, shut down, shallow, dumbstruck, filled with deaf and dumb demons. I just think we're unplugged. We're totally unplugged, and the devil's blanking programs are running to give space for his, his destructive programs while we're out. This is like such a waste. You are so fearfully and wonderfully made. It's incredible that you can think and talk and put words together and make decisions and sit and read and and make sense out of little black lines and dots and, and as they're formed on the page. And I mean, you can calculate things and we can fly to the moon and we, we're so wonderfully made. And and yet we we're so willing to be so misled. We're willing to be misled. Why? From the beginning, if you read any stuff by any of these people who are doing a lot of research on some of this, the devil's stories, the devil's mythologies, the devil's plots, and what he's planning on doing again and how he's planning on taking over the world and coming back again, it's like if it wouldn't be so widely believed, it would be like, who would ever believe this? This is so stupid. Who would ever believe this? You must have a totally blanked out, shut down, stupefied, non-sound mind to, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying this is what the devil's doing to your sound mind. So I'm not judging and I'm not condemning. I'm just saying, you know, okay, here's the problem. The building is burning down, okay? And I'm on the outside and see the building is burning down. I see people on the inside and they don't know. They're still dancing in the ballroom and it would, you know, it had a big gash inside and it was going down and they were still smoking their cigars, drinking their booze and playing cards in the ballroom. And so somebody rushes in and says, ah, the ship is going down. Ah, the building is burning. And you could say, you know what? You are so negative. <laughs> you are so negative. I mean, I'm having a good time here. Just leave me alone. Quit judging me. You're just judging me because I'm smoking a cigar. No, I'm judging you not. But the building is burning down. The ship is sinking. Do you want to live? Do you want to die? No, I just want to smoke my cigar. Thanks. Just leave me alone. This is not about judging. This is about rescuing. This is about truth. This is about, oh, 
people, we could be standing before the Lord God before the night is over. Some of us may. It's, I mean, people are dropping dead like flies. That could be a very good thing. I'm not very sad anymore when Christians die. Really, seriously, I'm kind of thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. They got out of this mess. That's good. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I mean, it's kind of a celebration. Even though maybe they were young, it's okay. It's the ones left behind that I'm a little concerned about, you know, because we still got to show up for work tomorrow. All right, so back to Paul. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what he called it. The operating software was the body of death, the program that Satan had used to download into their souls when he got permission to do that in the garden, when they gave him permission, and the soul that sin shall die. So God now had a problem because the body of death operating software was operating in their soul. Yeah. And God knew he couldn't separate their soul technically from their body because they would die physically. So he had a problem. So his problem was, oh, I, I know what I'll do. I'll load in a fresh new set of software. It's called the spirit. Once they get saved, we'll ignite that spirit, that little candle. That's the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inner rooms of the heart. When you get saved, it gets lit. Okay, so now he's going to say, give us the command. Guys, it's not walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You'll not be pulled into the madness, the insanity, the conflict, the trickery, of the mind thinking and never knowing for sure and the heart feeling and never settling on a solution and the will totally confused because I don't know what to do because my mind says one thing and my heart says another thing. You know, doubt, fear, and confusion are from hell. They're the chief programmers. Handlers, handlers is a good word. You got handlers going on in there. You've got to get rid of them. Jesus said, cast them out. Reject their counsel. Cancel out their lies. Lord Jesus, you're the counselor. You're the witness. Show me what are the lies I'm believing. And he will. Lord, what is the lie I'm believing? Take me back to the original place I signed that contract or I came into agreement with that lie. Take me back there. Show me what it was. Show me your truth. And then I'm going to cancel out the contract with the lie and I'm going to declare the truth of God and I'm going to command the demon to leave. Seriously, how simple is that? How hard is that? How, many, how come if it's so easy, nobody does it? Not very many people do it. Why? Well, because it doesn't look like it's easy, and the demons keep knocking on the door again. They come back with seven more, and they try to freak you out, fake you out, call your bluff, and you panic. Uh, just let Jesus answer the door. Okay, Lord, I told them to leave. They're not leaving. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to worship you, and they're your problem. You take care of them, because they're too wily, insidious, evil, wicked, cunning for me. God did not expect you and I to outsmart the devil. We're not here to outthink him. We're not here to out, outmaneuver him. We're not here to arm wrestle him. We're just here to turn him over to the Lord and let the Lord pluck him out. He says, when he says, we're talking about casting out devils, all he was saying is, why don't you, here's what we'll do, guys. You make the declaration and I'll do it. Okay? You just declare it and I'll do it. And you say, and the demon says, inside of you says, no, 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 I got to do it. I got to do it. I, I'm religious. I, I got to do it. I can figure it. I can do this. You know what? Stop trying to do all the stuff you can't do and admit it and just say, Lord, I can't do it. And you won't be, you know, it's not going to be egg on your face and all disgrace. God can work through you when you let him. If you're going to stand in the way, he won't, you know, he'll let you till you give up, quit. Try. And a lot of us were terrified that the way up with God is down, and the way to win is surrender. 
and a lot of people are scared to death of surrender because, oh, what will they think? And what will it look like? You've got to quit worrying about what they're going to think because they don't know what they think anyway. And Paul kind of wraps it up really nice, and I think I'm going to probably wrap it up here in a minute. Unless somebody wants to talk to me, you can chit-chat with me, 347-215-8051. You know, it would be a lot more fun if you guys would talk to me and give me a problem, and then we could kind of go for it. Otherwise, you're just going to listen to me and listen to me and say, oh, next week, I heard that already. Yeah, she said that before. Oh, she's repeating herself. (laughs) You have no idea how many times I repeat myself and I think, oh, God, I must be sick of it myself, you know, for hearing myself talk about these things all the time. And yet, other people have never heard it for once even, so I keep saying it again. So Paul was saying, okay, I'm going to, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is now, right now, where you're sitting, feeling beat up, feeling rejected, neglected, misunderstood, like you blew it, feeling dumb, whatever. Right now, in God's book, there's no condemnation. He knows exactly what's going on. To those who are in Christ Jesus, that's where you are. You know, you, you, know, you don't have to be perfect to be in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus covers it all. His blood makes us righteous, not, you know, we abide in him, we obey him, but until we get it all perfect, which is basically when we're going to see him face to face, he covers the difference. And so our, our righteousness is coming from him. So, you know, he covers it all. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But because we're still on this side of glory, the devil can still make us look and feel and think we're condemned. There's no, Christ, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who what? Who walk not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Who choose not to use the old soul software that's full of guilt, shame, condemnation. I should have, could have, and it's my fault. All counselors of hell that are talking to you. But you choose to shut them up and listen to the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit say to you right now? What does he say? Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. What do you say to my brother and my sister listening to me right now? What is the truth you want to know about their life? And what is the lie, first of all, that they've been believing? What's the lie? And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, so the Holy Spirit will let you know right away. And don't just say, oh, that's just me. That's just me as a lying spirit who's telling you that's just you because he doesn't want you to recognize what you already recognize as the Holy Spirit. So tell that's just me to shut up. Jesus doesn't lie. So, Lord, what is the lie that the enemy has been using to pound my brother or my sister? Okay, so I bind every spirit that would block it, delete it, um, blank it out, shut it down. I bind, bind all the blocking, blanking, snatching systems of hell, and Lord God, let us see it, let us realize it, so Jesus is going to show you what the lies, and now the question is, Lord, you're the faithful witness, you saw what happened, what's the truth you want me to know? What is the truth? Okay, so the truth is what Jesus says, does Jesus tell a lie? Now who in you resists that? When you hear what the truth is, what's the first thing that pops up in your mind, in your heart? That would be a demon who's resisting the revelation of truth. The Spirit of God is there to comfort you and lead you into all truth. The demons impersonate the Holy Spirit. They impersonate us. They impersonate, you know, God to us. They impersonate us to ourselves. They impersonate us to one another. They're just out there 
to bring a lot to confusion and to control everything. So if you find yourself knowing that God is saying to you, it's okay, but you also find yourself feeling not okay with being okay, it's like, how can that be okay? How can being okay be okay? (laughs) The devil's constantly with riddles, isn't he? How can it be okay to be okay when I don't feel okay? How can that be okay? I'm not okay with being okay. Well, who's resisting what God says? It's okay. You're fine. You're mine. I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Who is resisting that? Unworthy? Doubt? Undeserving? Um, The one who would call God a liar? Will you just tell him to shut up and go to the pit? Amen. Can you do that? So, Jesus, I'm going to pray right now that your spirit, your Holy Spirit that's been sent to live in us, will have his, his way. That you encourage us, that you bless us, that you lead us into all truth. Father, that we'd rest our hope fully in you, that you are faithful to complete the good work you've begun in us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord God, and I know a lot of people in my world that are getting beat up these days. And Lord, I know the devil's trying to beat us up to discourage us, so I command the spirit of discouragement, defeat, despair, dis- depression, destruction, fusion, doubt, debilitating, all the deeds from hell. Go back to the pit. And Lord Jesus, will you do some deliverance tonight right now? Will you just go down wherever you want to and just begin to cast demons out? People who are listening to this radio show, Lord, I can talk. I can talk, but that's because you give me stuff to say, but you're the only one who can deliver. So go ahead, pluck out the demons. I command them to leave. I command these impersonators, the first person impersonators, by the way, if you really want to tag them, name them, because they like to be named, otherwise they deny who they really are and what they really do. It's like you have to really name the criminal or he tries to swiggle, swiggle out of it. Name your, use your own name. That's the strongman principle, you know, strongman familiar spirit, the one who would use your name. Because he uses your name to describe his territory, like the Prince of Persia used Persia to describe the area of the territory he was lording over, ruling. So, Father, we just bind these strong men, command them to leave in the name of Jesus Christ and in the place where you fill up my brother and my sister with a hunger for your word and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And let this work be done and let it go forward. And whoever hears this in the next days and weeks and months ahead, may it be more every time they listen, may it be more powerful, more anointed, May you just multiply this word and work, Father, because there's a lot of work to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to say good night to all you guys, men and women in my chat room. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We'll be talking about the book of lies from time to time. What was the lie we talked about tonight? Can you remember? One of the most difficult things about my life is living with me. And me is not I. I am the daughter of God. Amen. Good night. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.